Welcome in to another edition of Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, it's WrestlingTWT. Also, our YouTube page, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday and subscribe to the YouTube page for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. On this edition of TWT, we'll get a chance to review Backlash taking place from Orlando, Florida at the Performance Center for the WWE. We'll talk about the greatest wrestling match ever. Also, we'll talk about some things happening in AEW and also some issues internally with the WWE, which we'll address in this edition of TWT. A little house cleaning, though. Um, So, on the... Check the date here. On the 16th, as you hear this, of June, this TWT is not aired on ESPN 1000 because I am doing national shows, ESPN national shows with Freddie Coleman this week. That show airs between 8 and 11 p.m. Central Time, so I will not be doing my normal Under the Hood show this week. Uh, that's why you're hearing the podcast. If you're a podcast listener to TWT, it really makes no difference. But for the radio audience, yeah, I will not be having TWT on ESPN 1000 on the 16th and on the 23rd of June. So if you're a podcast listener or know people that tune in every Tuesday at 9.30 for TWT, tell them they better get hip to the podcast where they can hear the podcast whenever they want to. Just look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. It is also on the ESPN Chicago app as well. I got a little secret for you. Sometimes TWT airs and is on the ESPN Chicago app before it even airs on ESPN 1000, the radio show. So just a little FYI there. So check it out wherever you download your podcast. Tell people to look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday whether that is on Stitcher, Spotify, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and definitely on the ESPN Chicago app. So glad to have you in. Let's get right to it as we talk about the greatest wrestling match ever. So what really stands out to me, first of all, is start with the commentary. I thought that in this match, Tom Phillips as the play-by-play guy, Byron Saxton, as well as Samoa Joe, did a phenomenal job, and it's a really great trio on uh, Raw when they do shows on Raw. But this this particular match and what they did on Backlash was very good. Samoa Joe does not sound like a sports entertainment analyst by any stretch of the imagination. When you hear Samoa Joe, it comes across like Tony Romo doing football on CBS. When you hear him talk, it's genuine. It's You could tell that this is nothing that is really piped into his headphone. There isn't a Kevin Dunn or a Vince McMahon giving him lines. You could tell that he's into the match, into the matches. And he was definitely into this match um, with Edge against Randy Orton. So I, I like the Samoa Joe MMA NFL kind of style, you know, speak from your gut, genuine feel to his commentary. And so I, I just like those three together. They did a great job. So just around the match, Charles Robinson is in that WWE referees shirt and bow tie, the Chippendales look of referees back in the 70s and 80s. It's really good to see Charles Robinson looking like that referee from 1987. Very, very interesting. Um, Howard Finkel with that MSG big announcement to hear the late Howard Finkel introduced Edge and Randy Orton. I thought was also very interesting. But on the surface, when you heard that this was going to be 
the greatest wrestling match ever. So, that's a lot of expectations. And also, you can look at that and say, well, that's subjective, right? Will we see the greatest wrestling match ever? And going into it, as someone who's been watching wrestling for a long time, I knew it would not be the greatest wrestling match ever. Um, the One of the greatest wrestling matches is Jerry Lawler against Bill Dundee in Memphis, a Loser Leaves Town match. Uh, one of the greatest matches ever was The Undertaker against Shawn Michaels, too, when Michaels uh, retired for the first time. Uh, one of the greatest wrestling matches ever is Okada Omega 1, uh, which was great in Japan. Uh, another great wrestling match was Kurt Henning against Nick Bockwinkle, 60 minutes in Las Vegas at the Showboat Sports Pavilion. Another great match in the AWA. And the greatest match ever for me of all time is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat in the Clash of Champions in New Orleans. That was two out of three falls. That's my favorite match of all time, Flair Steamboat in New Orleans at the Clash. So when you think about those matches, those are just off the top of my head. Flair Steamboat is always going to be my favorite match unless something ever surpasses it, which I doubt. But point is, is that I just gave you five matches that are my favorites of all time. They're great matches. Not with a small G. These are all great matches I just mentioned. And so when you hear greatest wrestling match ever, well... What I saw was the greatest wrestling match ever for Randy Orton. That's what I saw. Um, I am not a Randy Orton fan. Um, I've always thought, tongue-in-cheek, that Barry O, his uncle, was a better wrestler, a pure wrestler than Randy. And, um, and I know watching Cowboy Bob Orton for all those years. Great wrestler. Great wrestler. Not good. Great wrestler. Technically sound. Great heel. But Randy Orton surpassed both his dad and his uncle in this match against Edge. We always knew that Randy Orton has an evil side, much better as a heel than a babyface, as a guy that should never turn babyface, but hey, it's the WWE, right? We saw a different gear in Randy Orton's game where he still was able to go his speed, he was able to do it at his pace, and told a great story with Edge. Edge, the same wrestler that had been out for a long time, didn't think he'd ever return. And what Edge was able to do was just tremendous. It really was. Because it's about timing. It's about being able to execute the moves the right way. And when you've been out for a long time and you're doing these one-offs like The Undertaker does these one-offs or Triple H does these one-offs or John Cena, wrestlers will tell you it's very difficult to be able to just jump right back into the fray and be as good as you were nine, ten years ago when you're wrestling once a year, maybe twice a year. So what I think Edge did was truly incredible. What's also incredible is, is that Edge, Adam Copeland, suffered a torn triceps on June 7th when filming his match with Randy Orton that will take play, that took place at the Backlash show. He wrestled with a torn triceps and still was able to get through the match. It was a great match, there's no question. The greatest wrestling match ever for Randy Orton. 
and more than likely one of the greatest matches that Edge has ever had. It's not necessarily about timing, because it's one thing to say, well, of course it's a great match. It was 45 minutes or whatever, however long it went. No, it's just what was in the ring, what was going on in the ring. It told a great story probably to a lot of younger wrestlers too, that you don't have to fly all over the fucking ring and all over ringside and get this chair and get do this move and do this stuff and hit the A-B-A-B-A-B-A-B-A-B-A-B-A back button when you are in a simulated fight, in a fake fight. You don't have to, when someone hits you, you fight them right back just because in your mind it's a video game. Because wrestling is not a video game. Wrestling is telling a story. And those two have told a story for a long time. It's just something that has irked me for a long time in this era of wrestling. Where both wrestlers, if they're not hearing the fight forever, if they're not hearing the cheers and the adulation from the crowd, they feel like, well, our match is boring, so I've got to jump off the top rope. Something we've seen a million times in a lot of matches. And how often did you see that with Edge and Randy Orton? They told a story. Because it was not the -the over-the-top stuff that you see on just regular matches on Raw and SmackDown and AEW and Impact. What it was is just two guys telling the story. I don't like you. You don't like me. And so we're going to wrestle and we're going to plot all the stops. And we're going to do what it takes to be able to entertain and push ourselves to the limit. And that's what Edge and Randy Orton did. And once again, we're talking about guys that are over 30, well over 30, that are doing this. Imagine if you had more rivalries and more time for rivalries to put matches like that together. Imagine in the modern day, you actually had a feud where two guys, two women, tag teams, whatever, were able to put matches together like that. That's the thing that is special. We wish all the best to Edge as he's got a torn triceps. It's usually an injury that requires about eight months or so of recovery time and surgery. Obviously because WWE didn't want to out of want that match out uh, to let people know that he was injured. The match actually was filmed on June 7th. The WWE didn't want people to know what was going on with the injury and they kept it quiet and... You know, when you watch the match, you can't even tell if there was a triceps injury. You know, you know why you can't tell? Because of something else I'm going to go to right now. And that is this era, this pandemic era of wrestling where we are pre-taping matches and editing stuff out and having wrestlers redo stuff to entertain us. I'm not down with that. I'm just not. If you're having a wrestling match, if I'm having a wrestling match with you... Whether it's 20 minutes, whether it's 8 minutes, whether it is 40 minutes or 45 minutes like Edge and Orton. Let's just go through this whole thing where we're like, stop, cut, let's do that again. That's not working. (laughs) That wouldn't work for me. The start and stop of that is just crazy. Now, here's the thing. like Because of the editing process, you did not see where the injury took place. Apparently, they did two or three takes according to the Wrestling Observer and it's just kind of like, what takes? Like, like, can we just get through the match? And if 
it happened on the second take or third take is that's very unfortunate for Edge because as a wrestler, you're just used to going be able to go through. There is no start and stop when it comes to these things. So I, I don't I'm not down with any of that. And there's a lot of this in the pandemic era, right? A lot of of these companies, AEW and with the WWE, where you're, you're they're doing these cinematic type of matches, and so it's almost like these mini movies. And I, I'm not necessarily crazy about that. I'm also not crazy about how Edge had to be able to stop, and somewhere along the line, in the second or third take, is when he injured himself because that wrestler's not used to doing that. So I'm just hoping all the best for Edge because that that's tough. And um, just watching the flow of that match and watching how Randy Orton was pulling out his father's superplex and just how you saw you know some of the the old school edge stuff that he used to use when he was uh, a baby face early in his career with the wwe and stuff that the unprettier from christian there's all these moves like you know like seeing the rock bottom they were using everything they could to beat one another and really that's the competition part of wrestling there's theatrics and there's haha, and there's seriousness, but ultimately, once you get in the ring, once you're in the ring and you're wrestling, the ultimate goal is to win the match, right? You're supposed to look like you're trying to win the match, and both guys look like they're trying to win the match. So hats off to Orton and Edge, as they were the main event, and they deserved it, because they really put on quite a performance uh, in that match. Also, when's the last time you heard a wrestler... Whisper into another wrestler's ear, "I'm gonna kill you, motherfucker." I mean, as as Orton did <laughs> to Edge, whispering in the ear of Edge, telling him, "I'm gonna kill you, motherfucker. I'm just gonna kill you." I'm like, who who does that? Well, Randy Orton does that. Other matches on Backlash uh, were interesting, but I gotta take you back to that time, man. That closing moment of. Watching Edge and Orton watched it twice, and so let's go back to that moment because that was amazing. I understand Orton's frustration, but right now he needs to be careful and not upset that ref because he almost has this encounter one. Edge's body might be failing him right now, but his fighting spirit is keeping him in the game. But you know as well as I do, Byron, the the heart may be willing and the and the mind may be willing, but that body is a very very different proposition. That was a hell of a finish with the punt. That was terrific. So despite the fake crowd noise and some of the um, middle card or uh, rarely used NXT uh, wrestlers outside as the fans, it still came across as a really, really solid uh, performance for Edge uh, and Orton. Fake crowd noise. 
Uh, the WWE. Okay, let's talk about some of the other matches from uh, Backlash 2020. Drew McIntyre is the WWE champion. He takes on Bobby Lashley. And Lashley um, seemingly ditched Lana in favor of MVP watching that matchup. You know, that was a really solid match until Lana came out there. It was such a weird finish. Everything was going well in that matchup. And then here comes Lana. And it, uh, again, he, here's what stands out to me here about Drew McIntyre. And I think you might agree with me on this. So Drew McIntyre being the champion, winning over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Uh, it's it's great that Drew McIntyre, after 18, 19 years, finally gets his chance to be the champion. The thing is, is that it is very difficult to measure how good Drew McIntyre is as far as the how fans relate to him, how they react to him. Because, well, there, there are no fans. It's just NXT middle card wrestlers that are out there. So you have no idea whether or not Drew McIntyre is getting over to the crowd or not. It's not like an agent is sending reports back to Vince McMahon for shows across the country like they normally would and report back to Vince and say, hey, you know, the fans really are into Drew McIntyre. They like his character. He does. He really works hard in the ring because all you can base it on is when we see him on these special shows or on Monday Night Raw. So we have no idea. Uh, hopefully... Drew McIntyre can hang in there and be the champion. And uh, and once we do get back to some normalcy, when we go back to arenas of some sort, maybe we will find out whether, whether Drew McIntyre is relatable to the fans. I like him, personally. Uh, I like that he's a champion because it's something new and fresh. Uh, he's paid his dues. You know, I always think about how John Morrison could be in the same spot, right? Drew McIntyre was in the WWE once before, as you well know, with 3MB. And he was never able to get over He's just a, just a guy. I remember Vince McMahon saying this is going to be uh, the future of the WWE, and it didn't. It never worked out. McIntyre worked in the Indies. He went across the country, around the world. He comes back, and now it's the WWE champion. So it's a great story. But it's funny, John Morrison has the same story. <laughs> John Morrison is like in his tag team with Miz. And Morrison leaves because Vince didn't get it. I'll never forget it. Like Vince McMahon told Michael Cole to say on the air, I don't understand this parkour, this stuff that he's doing. I don't get it. I don't get John Morrison. And Morrison had to leave, went around the country, Lucha Underground and Impact and everywhere else and wrestled. Uh, wrestled in Mexico. It got over. And it comes right back to WWE. And then Vince McMahon says, oh, John Morrison's back. Uh, you know what? You'd be a great... I think we need to put you back in the tag team with Miz because that's what I remember you as, as a tag team wrestler. That, that This does nothing for John Morrison. So it's interesting that Drew McIntyre and John Morrison in a lot of ways have the same story, but McIntyre is a champion and Morrison's still stuck in a tag team with uh, Mike Mazanin. Uh, and so Bobby Lashley, by the way, I wonder will there be a time where Bobby Lashley is the WWE champion? I saw a side-by-side picture of Bobby Lashley like back at WrestleMania um, when he was in that hair versus hair match with uh, Donald Trump and Vince McMahon um, and watching his picture during that time and looking at him now, he looks the same. He looks the same. He has not changed. His body is probably even bigger now than it was even back then, but he still has the same look. It's amazing how Bobby Lashley has not aged at all. It's crazy. Uh, the Universal Championship with Braun Strowman against The Miz and John Morrison. Boy, you know, I, I feel bad for 
wrestlers like Braun Strowman because he's in the big show um, story right now. He's in this rut. Even though he's Universal Champion, it doesn't really matter because he's stuck right now. He's stuck. The big show should have been a much bigger deal in the WWE. But he kept going back and forth between babyface and heel and babyface and heel like he was Paul Orndorff. And so Braun Strowman here is is being portrayed like he's some idiot. And I, I just I just don't understand why Braun Strowman cannot be viewed as a serious monster. You want to make him a babyface? Fine. Braun Strowman, I've heard him in interviews. And he does a great job uh, with the media. Braun Strowman is great with the media, and he's he's very well spoken. I I just don't understand why he is in this position where he's not taken seriously. I mean, he's getting slimed by Miz and Morrison, and he's getting his car destroyed, and it's just like. And so I'll, I'll tell you this quick story before we hear from Strowman and Miz and Morrison in that matchup. Do you recall with Braun Strowman, uh, I want to say, it feels like it was maybe two or three months ago, where Braun Strowman was the Intercontinental Champion, and he was supposed to take on Sami Zayn, and like, Braun Strowman was like, ah, you know, Sami Zayn, you mean, you're no competition, I mean, I'm so big, I'll take on all three of you, I'll take on Sami Zayn, Nakamura, and Cesaro, do you recall this? Uh, this is not a fever dream, right? This actually did happen. Did Strowman say, I'll challenge all three of you guys for Intercontinental Championship? And it happened, and then Strowman lost the Intercontinental Championship to Sami Zayn? And he said, I'll take on all three of you guys. And he lost. And now this time around, Universal Championship, Braun Strowman says, oh, you know what? I'll take on both Miz and John Morrison. We saw this match before on SmackDown? Raw? I don't know. One of these shows. I think it was on SmackDown. And... And Strowman's like, okay, you know what? I already take it, take it on both of you guys. I will take on both of you guys for the Universal Championship. How stupid is that? How dumb is that? What have, what have they done to Braun Strowman? Make him seem like he's some big dummy. This is the same company that loves big guys, but they're making Braun Strowman out of a fool. I don't understand it. I don't understand their character development and their booking. I just, I don't understand that. Braun Strowman should be, if he's going to be a baby face, a monster baby face. If he's going to heal, he should be a monster heel. But he's got to have more than one trick. And that one trick is turning over a van or turning over a truck or turning over a car. A car. Okay, great. And then what? <laughs> that does nothing for him outside of the saying that he's strong. <sighs> he is stuck with such blasphemy. Oh, Miz just changed his mind. Is that what you're saying? And look at this now. The big toe slam by Strowman. Morrison caught. And now the monster among men on his feet said this one is over. Oh, this could do it. Running power slam. Covered by Strowman. Strowman retains. And the crowd goes mild. (laughs) Great. What else was on this damn show? Okay. It just seems like after the greatest wrestling match ever, it's like you see everything else is just gravy. It's not even 
not even that special. Let me see what else here. Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. So on on SmackDown, here's what's funny. On SmackDown, uh, Sheamus says, you know what, Jeff? Because you have gone through so much, you're an addict. I need you to take a piss test. I need you to take a urine test. They get all these fake doctors here, and they're in the ring, and Jeff Hardy goes behind a partition, and he has this huge vial of urine, as if it's like 16 ounces, looks like filled fill with urine, right? Brown urine. And Seamus is there making fun of Jeff Hardy, and Jeff Hardy takes the urine and just throws it into the face of Seamus. All of his supposed urine is thrown in the face of Seamus. Imagine that. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that Fox saw this happen as it aired first on the East Coast uh, in New York and Chicago. We saw this live um, as we saw it on Fox. And by the time it got to the West Coast, Fox edited that off of the show. So people out West in the mountain time zones did not see Seamus take um, a cup of urine to the face by Jeff Hardy. Fox thought that was bad taste. Fox thought it was bad taste. Just think about that for a second. So the Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard comedy of, hey, Jeff Hardy, not only take, not a small cup, like this huge, like looks like 16 ounce cup of piss, right? And so Hardy throws it in the face of Sheamus, and Sheamus is just like unbelievable, like stunned, like he can't believe that he had got urine to the face. And Fox thought that that was too crude to put on television. So by the time they put on the West Coast feed, they were like, "Nope, we're not." They edited it right off. They went, they do, went right to the commercial. And people out west were like, "Well, what's going on? What what happened there?" Because of the stupid comedy spot of Vince McMahon slash Bruce Prichard. So there you go. So that sets up this matchup, which I thought I thought was pretty good between Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. But just the whole reason to have the match is just so ridiculous. I said on Twitter at Wrestling TWT that Jeff Hardy's had way too many chances in the ring. Jeff Hardy's got to take care of himself first. How many times have we seen Jeff Hardy in trouble? But yet Vince McMahon continues to bring him back in the fold. And... It's interesting that if this was Rob Van Dam, who got caught with some weed once, got his championships taken away from him, exiled from the company, it happened once with Rob. But then with Jeff Hardy, time and time and time again, he's got issues as far as um, drugs and alcohol. He's an addict. But they continue to give him time after time chances. Other wrestlers have not had that many opportunities. Jeff Hardy's had more than a few in the WWE and in wrestling in general. That could that could be Impact Wrestling, WWE, either way. I, I just find it funny how some employers like Vince McMahon will pick and choose. Jeff Hardy, he can get in trouble again. He'll be right back out there in the ring. How many times can you give Jeff Hardy a chance? And so so they accentuate and they drill down, they drill down on that a la Road Warrior Hawk. Hawk had his issues as well, too, and they were able to accentuate that by having him fall off the Triton-tron and and make him seem like he was drunk when he was at ringside. Yeah, he was. He had a lot of issues personally, but I don't think it's it's really... 
wrestling's place to be able to say, oh, you know, I know that you read that this guy pops pills or this guy is an alcoholic or he's an addict. So we're just going to drill down on that and make him that character in the ring. I mean, Jeff Hardy's had troubles and they've said, okay, Jeff, since you're an addict, let's do an addict spot or angle with Seamus. Why? Why do that? He's trying to get his life back and he's got to be this person now. It's his typical wrestling, typical WWE. I'm not surprised at all. Just ridiculous. The Raw Tag Team Championship with the Street Profits against the Viking Raiders. I skipped over that. Didn't watch that. And, and I'll tell you why I didn't watch it. Didn't watch it because I saw MVP and Matt Hardy do this before on SmackDown years ago. And they're making the Street Profits and Viking Raiders do the same thing that MVP and Matt Hardy did years ago. So I'm not watching that. I just I, I, I knew that was I knew it wasn't going to be a regular match. I saw that they were going to do some other things. I'm like I'm not watching it. People on Twitter asked me about it. It's like I'm not I'm not watching it. Let me see what else. Oh, the women's tag team championship. I'm a big Iconics fan. I don't know if they'll win the championships anytime soon because we're all waiting to see Bailey versus Sasha Banks. Oh my God, Bailey versus Sasha Banks. It's like, ugh. I tell you, you know it's coming, right? You know that Bailey and Sasha Banks, as the women tag team champions, you know there's going to be a breakup sometime, somewhere in the near future. But is that like the ultimate match? Is that could could that be along the lines of one of the greatest matches ever? Have we've never have we we've never seen Bailey against Sasha Banks before? It's like they're they're going to wrestle again, sure. But you know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They're going to wrestle because they're going to be a breakup. But I'm like so. So, so if they break up, like, oh, the boss Sasha Banks will take on Bailey. Okay, that'll just be another match in the WWE. Like, it, it'll be a good match, but it won't be one of these memorable matches like I've never seen before. Uh, so it was the Iconics. It was Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss and Bailey and Sasha. And Bailey and Sasha were able to win that. You know, de- you know, decent matchup. Decent match. Um, let's see. Asuka against Nia Jax. You know, when you watch this match and you see them both in the ring, you're like, wait a minute. How in the world could Nia Jax ever lose to Asuka? I mean, seriously. The Raw Women's Championship matchup, Asuka against Nia Jax. When you see how big Nia Jax is as far as her momentum, how quick that she can be, how powerful she can be, and then you see Asuka, that doesn't seem like... Uh, I mean, we know the ability of both wrestlers. Asuka is the better wrestler. Nia has the most power. I guess that's the, the intriguing part, part of it, though. But I just, when I see them both, I'm like, how does Nia not just crush Asuka? They're trying to cinch it in, but the right hand of Nia Jax was trying to free the grip. And now look at Jax. Beautiful defense. And the power once again. Oh, oh the power once again. Very gingerly, Asuka was able to pop her left shoulder up, but Asuka is hurting, guys. How much more can Asuka handle? But you can see even Jax there, Joe. Jax trying to right the ship, so to speak. These are unbelievable G-forces working on Asuka's body right now. Disrespect from the challenger. Oh! 
Tag Team and speaking the name of Oscar's Tag Team partner, Kyrie Sane. I just talked a little too oh, much. Thought about the Samoan drop. Great counter by Oscar. Oh, oh, she missed. Great job by Oscar. Now on the move of the Shining Wizard. Right to the face to retain the oh, title. No. Kick out by Jax. And Oscar's found some sort of respite. I mean, she's back on the offensive, but how much damage has she already taken? Oscar's been hanging around to give herself an advantage, picking up the pace a little bit. This could heavily favor the Raw Women's Champion. Right, going back after the left arm here, Joe. Oscar's staying on that body part. Oh, and I, I don't blame her. I mean, there's not much you can do to beat a woman like Nia Jax. Oh, oh, out of the By Jax. Oh, another cover. Oh, another cover. This is Oscar fell off of Jax's body almost. But Nia Jax right now is the one in trouble. Nia Jax is the one who's reeling. I mean, she's fading in out of consciousness out there. Jax is down to her knees inside the ring. Oscar's going up top. Nia Jax starting to stir. Oh, and slows down the champion. And that's the kind of greeting you do not want from somebody oh, wait, wait, like wait Nia a second. Jax. She slid off though. And tried for the armbar. Now dragging oh. Jax to the outside. Remember, title can only change hands via pinfall or submission. It does not change hands via count out or disqualification. Right. Oh. Oh, oh my god. She got that flying armbar again. That was brilliant by and it's, it's on, but it's gonna do her no good out there. Count of four here from the official. Oscar continues to inflict damage oh, on the Ballinger. Nice pull it up like she's a child. Ooh. And Jax was able to break the submission along the barricade. Uh, if this was up to seven. seven. Count of seven. Jax has to get Oscar back inside the oh, ring. This doesn't look good for eight. the moment. Count of eight. Nine. Count of nine. Nia Jax has got to hurry. Uh -oh. oh, and a kick oh, to the face it. by the champion. Nia Jax goes down. The referee has counted out both. Asuka and Nia Jax, therefore, still your Raw Women's Champion, Asuka! Meh. Count out. Mm, could have saw that on Raw. Do you really want that on the Backlash pay-per-view? Count out. Mm. They're trying to keep Nia looking strong, and they want to make sure Asuka still had the championship. So that is a finish. It is a finish. Apollo Crews looking strong in their, his matchup against uh, Andrade for the United States Championship. It was about seven, eight-minute matchup. Pretty good. Could have been longer, but uh, I like that. And so I would say that um, this show was saved by the matchup with Edge and Randy Orton. I think that that's the thing that really saved this Backlash show because of how terrific it was. It was a great match. There's no question. Um, and so I, I look forward to seeing what happens next because while Edge is injured, will we see a third match between Edge and Randy Orton? I'm sure there's going to have to be a third one, but when will it happen? I guess that's, that's really a big question. So the big news coming out of uh, wrestling, and I was going to do a special podcast for it, but I kind of ran out of time to be able to record something, so I figured I would do it here. And that is regarding Paul Heyman. And so Paul Heyman is no longer in the creative process for the WWE. And it was a tweet that was put out there by the WWE. Boy, they're very transparent when it comes to the news. They want to be able to control the narrative, so I, I, totally, I totally understand it. But... Um, uh, it is really disappointing that Paul Heyman, someone that 
sees wrestling sometimes just the way that you and I see wrestling as far as giving others the opportunity, not seeing the same thing over and over again. Um, Paul Heyman was the person that was in charge of the raw side of things. And I'm seeing the tweet right here in front of me. In an effort to streamline our creative writing process for television, we have consolidated both teams from Raw and SmackDown into one group led by Bruce Pritchard. Paul Heyman will concentrate on his role as an in-ring performer. So you just know when you're in that company, when you're in the WWE and you're working for Vince McMahon, you know one thing for sure, and that is that you are temporary. Well, I think we're all temporary in our jobs that we work, but just the point is is that for Vince McMahon, he gets tired of you quickly. Just turn on any Arn Anderson podcast and him talking about Vince and just talking about how all of a sudden Vince just gets tired of having you around. Paul Heyman was part of the creative process when SmackDown was really good, when SmackDown was kicking Raw's ass as far as talent. He was the head of it. And everything filters through Vince. I just want to make sure it's very clear. Vince is, the whole company is just based on his tastes. But still, Paul was able to really put SmackDown in a great spot years ago when he was um, the head of creative uh, during that time. And then he was let go, wasn't around the company, now he's back with the company. And he was trying to get people like Aleister Black and Cedric Alexander and uh, Drew McIntyre and some of these other wrestlers over and saying, let's get something new, let's give them something fresh. Um, Garza coming from NXT, just getting new blood in there. And somehow, some way, Paul Heyman got X'd out. Not a surprise. When I saw that, I was like, oh, not a surprise. Not a surprise. Because Heyman's a guy that's going to give his point of view, and it's going to butt heads with Vince, and Vince is going to get tired of Heyman coming in trying to you know, say, I believe that Joe Henning deserves better. You know, like, you know that kind of thing. And so Bruce Pritchard is someone who's been with the company for several times uh, in his time in wrestling. He was there in the Hogan era. He was there into the 90s. Um, was let go, and now he's come back. He speaks Vince McMahon more than anybody else in that company on the writing side. He, Pritchard knows exactly what Vince likes as far as tastes and humor, and so he's writing for Vince. That's really a shame, isn't it? If you ever, ever have any issues with the WWE, remember... Everything filters through Vince, Vince and his taste. That old Jeff Hardy thing, he loves piss humor. He loves bathroom humor. When, when Bruce Pritchard came out of the bathroom, when they had the, um, the uh, ladder match, you know, the Money in the Bank match. You know, here's Bruce coming out of the bathroom. Oh, Vince loves that because it's bathroom humor. humor. I, I, don't, I don't get it, but the thing is, is that an entire audience, generations have been able to just watch the WWE and realizing that it's for not for us as fans, but it's for Vince, the audience of one. And if you just happen to enjoy what Vince enjoys, then it's great. And if you don't, well, you know, then you go to AEW, then you go to MLW, NWA, you go to New Japan or wherever else you watch your wrestling. I just think it's it's interesting uh, that Bruce, who's already over SmackDown, who replaced Eric Bischoff, now has to look over Raw and SmackDown. Wow. That's a lot of television. 
And in this pandemic era, that's a lot of edited television where you can have a raw here and then you can probably edit some things. And it's not live like live live anymore. Now, even raw that we're going to that aired on the 15th of June, that's not even live anymore or parts of it is not live. So it's just it'll be interesting to watch now the Bruce Pritchard era again of the WWE, even though it's still Vince and his thoughts. Bruce now presides over both writing teams of Raw and SmackDown. And, and, oh, one other thing before I move over to AEW. One other thing. What happened to the brand split in the WWE? You know, the separation of Raw and SmackDown. What the hell happened to it? Aren't we seeing these pay-per-view shows with talent from both sides, Raw and SmackDown? Are we seeing wrestlers kind of cross over from both brands? Well, to the brand split that they promised, and they promised again and again and again, and it never happens. Whatever happened to the rules that they had in, like you, like there's a wild card, and there's three or four chances for a wrestler. Bullshit. <laughs> we're so we're supposed to forget that, and we're supposed to watch every week because it's a WWE, and we're supposed to watch every week because they're always on time, and they're always accurate, and they're always you know the storytelling's great, and the continuity is so it's just not, it's not. So many people have tweeted, "Wow, this feels like WCW in two thousand one, two thousand two." It certainly is, and you know what happened to that company after two thousand two. See what happens. Let's move over to AEW. So happy to see FTR uh, in AEW. I just hope that it works out well for them. I know that they're happy that they're no longer in the WWE because of the nightmarish stories that we've heard from uh, Wheeler and uh, Hardwood about what's going on with this uh, with that company. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. I uh, hope that they can get the type of tag team matches that they've been looking for. I hope that that is the case because I just know that this is the best tag team in wrestling right now. And I wish I was able to see some of their house shows and some of the things that they put together. Man, it was um, when I hear about Bobby Roode and uh, and him talking so much about these two the the former revival FTR man it gives me chills because I really love tag team wrestling when it's right and it hasn't been right for a long time when I watch the Young Bucks and I watch uh, you know I watch some of their matches that's not the pure tag team wrestling that I'm used to saying because again I talk about the the kind of video game wrestling where you don't sell anything. You hit me, I hit you 50-50 back and forth. There's no story that's to be told. See, wrestling to me still has to have story. And when I watch Young Bucks matches, there isn't enough story for me to get completely lost into the match. So when I watch FTR and and watch what they have done, I go back into WWE Network I look at some of their shows that they had, those takeovers from NXT. Man, I mean, just classic tag team wrestling where it's just constant action it's not over the top it's not people just diving on one another just to do it it's just strategy and it's just really good tag team work so i remember watching ftr talk to tony shivani uh when they first got to AEW uh about what they're going to do in the company 
Really happy to be able to have the very first exclusive interview with FTR. If you'll recall, a week ago on AEW Dynamite, their surprise arrival exploded the internet. And Cash and Dax have joined me here. The obvious first question is, what does FTR stand for? Hey, well, I mean, uh, we got that a lot. Uh, FTR, it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not a tagline. It's not something, you know, we can just print on a shirt or whatever. It's, just, it's a way of life for, for me and Cash. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of anything that we want it to be. It's oh. fear of the revolution. It's follow the rules. It's, it's kind of a lifestyle for us. Like you said, it's something that we, uh, it, it takes on a life of its own. Now we're here in AEW. We're here at the, uh, the pinnacle. Sure. The pinnacle of the, uh, the, the, the revolution, the wrestling revolution. So right, right now, FTR is for the revolution. AEW has the world's greatest tag teams. Now. Now. Officially. Now. Okay, now. officially now. Okay. Missing pieces. You can print up a poster now. There have to be a, a list of tag teams that FTR wants to face, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, obviously there is. I mean, we've had a year and a half to think about this, and despite about you know what happened last week, Butcher and the Blade, man, they're a great tag team. You got the uh, the good kids, the, the, the kids, <laughs> very great uh, kids, private party, great, great kids. kids. And we would have worked with Santana and Ortiz because we've sure. seen those guys all over the world, and yeah, yeah, yeah. now we have a chance right here under the same roof. You got the Lucha Bros, who are the exact opposite of what we stand for in tag team wrestling. So we're, we're going to teach them tag team wrestling. Emphasis on tag. And then obviously we can't forget about the. Uh, the AEW tag team oh, champions. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they're not even a real tag team, but Omega and Page. I mean, What's that's new? that's our ultimate goal. Interesting that you you mentioned some teams. You didn't mention the Young Bucks. They're what to me what tag team wrestling's all about. <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. Man. They. Of course. Of course, they, they, of course you would say that. The dream match everybody's been waiting for. It's not a dream match to Cash and myself. It's not a dream match for us. Uh, we've had to sit back and and uh, watch these guys get awarded with uh, Tag Team of the Decade. we got to sit back and listen to Dave Meltzer sing their praises and say they're the next Midnight Express. Tony, do you think that makes us happy? Do you think we enjoy hearing that? Well, no. Sure, yeah, I don't, sure. don't want to come in here. And I don't, I don't want to have the best tag team wrestling match in history with them. I want to punch them in the mouth. Wow. That's what I want to do. I'm going to eat them in three seconds. All right. So it's good to hear from FTR in that sit-down interview before they took on Butcher and the Blade. So we see FTR come out, and they take on Butcher and the Blade. And let me just tell you, that was the best match Butcher and the Blade have ever had uh, in AEW. It, it wasn't perfect, but it doesn't have to be. I just think that when you have a tag team uh, like Harwood and Wheeler, when they come in, they know exactly what to do. Now it's up to Butcher and the Blade to be able to implement what they do best. And I thought that they were pretty sound. Well, not, you know, like a B plus, but it was their best match that they've had in AEW. So that's good for uh, for Butcher and the Blade. It elevates them, even though they lost to FTR. But here's the thing that is bothersome. In the history of the business, in the history of the business, when someone comes in and has their debut, what happens afterwards? They have an interview. Somehow, some way, they have an interview. They talk about why they're in the company. Now, we just saw that sit down a couple of weeks ago with Tony Schiavone regarding the setup for the Butcher and the Blade. Because there was a fallout there after their interview, Butcher and the Blade come in and they want to fight FTR. FTR takes on Butcher and the Blade, FTR wins. So the next step is to hear what FTR says after the match at Daly's Place in Jacksonville. This is what Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard in the stands, Jake Roberts in the stands, all these people, all these wrestlers and uh, some personnel from AEW are in the stands during this pandemic. 
and they're watching. But FTR didn't get a chance to speak after the match. You know who spoke after the match? The Young Bucks. My name's Matt. This is my brother, Nick. We've been carrying tag team wrestling solely on our backs for the past decade and a half. We're the best tag team in AEW. We're the Young Bucks. It's so nice to meet you. Finally. Ah, <laughs> uh, why couldn't there be back and forth between the Young Bucks and FTR? FTR didn't get a chance to speak. Why was that? How come the Young Bucks didn't allow Harwood and Wheeler to speak? In the history of the business, what happens after a debut? You get an interview. There's a promo to talk about who I am and what we're here for. Nope, they didn't get a chance to do that this time. The other question I have is, so last time I checked, FTR is a heel tag team, right? Heel tag team. Who's the heel between the Young Bucks and FTR? I mean, that's a legit question. Listen, listen to how the Young Bucks speak. My name's Matt. My name's Matt. This is my brother, Nick. We've been carrying tag team wrestling solely on our backs for the past decade and a half. Hmm. Sounds like he had a little bass in his voice. At least trying to get some bass in his voice, right? Trying to sound like a wrestler. My name's Matt. A little, uh, little bass in the voice from Matt Jackson. Are the Bucks the heels? Or is FTR the heels? See what I mean? You have FTR, a team that was a great heel team. The reason why that they want to be Blanchard and Anderson from the past is because Tully and Arn were a heel team. They didn't wrestle as baby faces. So they come in already as baby faces, I guess, with the Young Bucks or not. So I say this on Twitter. I, I The video I played, I put on Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Hmm, so which team is the heel team? And I get one response. Dedrian says, this might be a situation where they let the fans cheer for who they want. TK says, Tony K20 says, FTR for sure. The Bucks are the faces of the tag team of tag team wrestling AEW, considering they're part of the elite in the original five. But Kenny, Cody, Khan, uh, who started the company, it's hard to imagine them ever not being baby faces. Yeah, I think so. But here's the problem. TK and Dedrian and whoever else is listening. That was a heel promo cut by the Jacksons. Or by Matt Jackson. The other one just stood there. <laughs> That's the problem. That was a heel promo. Because they talk about how they've ruled wrestling for 15 years, right? Well, what babyface says that? Well, in 2020, I guess that serves as a babyface. But the other thing is, too, I want to make sure it's very clear. FTR takes on Butcher and the Blade. Who is the heel team in that matchup? 
That was two heels rest, two sets of heels wrestling each other. Butcher and the Blade took on FTR. Those are both heels. That's why I asked, who's the babyface? That didn't make any sense. The whole thing of Butcher and the Blade against FTR did not make sense because if FTR are heels, why is their first match against Butcher and the Blade? See? These are these questions that are out there where it's like, oh, that's old school wrestling. No, it's, it's actually not old school wrestling. You know what it is? It's just common sense. In any movie that you and I watch, there is a protagonist and an antagonist. There is a good person and a bad person. That's how life goes. In wrestling, there is, there's the shades of gray shit that's just not right. So so how come wrestling and movies and television shows can't be all the same? See what I mean? Like I'm 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 invested in the match because I'm an FTR fan. I saw them in NXT and the WWE. And I see Butcher and the Blade as a young tag team, but neither one of those tag teams were babyfaces. So but it's about an emotional investment. That's wrestling, right? That's not wrestling. That's wrestling. That's sport that's even sports entertainment. But what is that in AEW? See the point? Point is, is like you still need to be able to determine who is someone the crowd likes and someone the crowd does not like. But you can be able to force that as a writer or as someone that is in creative, someone that is in booking. Like, okay, I'm going to set these two teams out here. Someone's got to be the babyface, someone's got to be the heel. And then you wonder how come there's a lack of crowd reaction. Because that's the day of multiplication of wrestling. If like, oh, the crowd was dead. Well, if you don't explain to the audience what they're seeing, the crowd's always going to be dead. And I'm talking about before the pandemic era. See, boys and girls, wrestling should be the same as any movie, any TV show. You watch a show and you immediately know who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. There is no shades of gray in movies. If movies were always about what like AEW's booking... In that particular situation of Shades of Grey, man, if movies were like that, the movie industry would tank. There would be no television shows. Like, well, who's the good person? Who's the bad person? Who am I supposed to root for? Who am I supposed to be against? What's the story you're trying to tell? And a question I will ask about AEW, what story are you trying to tell? When the Young Bucks take on FTR, and when we get back to like the audience, who, who's going to be the team that people side with? The Young Bucks? Or FTR because they're not with the WWE anymore. That's the question. Shades of Grey booking is bad for wrestling. Always has been. All right. Thank you so much for listening to TWT right here. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Don't forget our YouTube page, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. And we'll be back on the 23rd of June as we take a look at The Undertaker. What a great documentary on The Undertaker so far on the WWE Network. We'll review that and other storylines around professional wrestling. Tell somebody, please tell somebody. Jonathan Hood Talks Wrestling, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on the podcast and also on ESPN 1000 every Tuesday night at 9.30. Thanks so much for listening. Hope to talk to you soon and reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram and give me your thoughts on Backlash and what's going on with AEW and everything else right here on TWT.